Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. We're going to speak today again on Satan's greatest weapon. And his greatest weapon, if you were here last week, is deception. His greatest weapon is deception. It's not power. It's nothing like that. His greatest weapon is that he works in your life and mine without us being aware of it. So if we can be aware of what Satan's doing, he's powerless. Now there's a great thought. He wants to kill you, destroy you, but if you're aware of his work, then he's powerless. So let's read Joshua 9 verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Benjamites. They heard about it. And so they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. And I said to you last week, we don't really so much need to be afraid when Satan comes with horns on. This is a full frontal attack. Israel were never intimidated by the size of the enemy, really, through Joshua. They weren't intimidated. What's going to take down Israel in this story is not a full frontal attack. It's an attack based on deception. And often we can see things right in front of us, but it's the things that we can't see, the things that catch us off guard that take us out. So you ready? Verse 3. But now the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gibeon was 16 miles away from where Israel was. They heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. So they worked craftily and they went and they pretended to be a delegation. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended and old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and mouldy. So what they're doing is they're making out that they've come from a long, long way away because they knew that God had spoken to Israel and God had said to Israel, every enemy that you face in the promised land, you are to annihilate. Take it out. So they knew that. So they made out that they'd come from way, way beyond. But the reality is that they'd come from 16 miles away. They lived in Canaan. So they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and they said to him and to all the men of Israel, we have come from a far, far country. So when I read this, this is a picture of heaven. Often Satan comes to you and he speaks in your mind and he makes out it's God speaking to you. What do I mean by that? Words of condemnation, words of anger. He, he, he makes us think, all sorts of things about the way God feels about us. So he comes, they come from a far country, so-called, and they wanted to make a covenant with all of Israel. Now, verse 7, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. We could never make a treaty with you. And they said to Israel, we are your servants. And Joshua said, who are you and where do you come from? Let me say this to you, every thought, that enters into your mind, every feeling that comes into your heart, you need to ask these questions. Who are you and where do you come from? What is the origin of the thought and feeling that I am having today? Is it from God 
or is it from the enemy? They had come from what they said was a long way away, but the truth was it was the enemy coming to take them out. And most Christians misinterpret the voice of God with the voice of the enemy and vice versa. So verse 9, they said, no, we have come from a very far country. When you challenge thoughts in your head, the devil is never going to say, oh, you caught me out. It is me. You're right. I am the deceiver. No, no, no. He's always going to cover his hand. They said, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, because we have heard of your fame, of his fame, and all that he did in Egypt. And that was a lie. They didn't come from what God had done in Egypt. They came because of what God was doing in the promised land. The truth was the enemy realized that Israel was closer to their destiny than ever before. And he wasn't threatened because, and he's never threatened when you, when you camp with an old nature mindset. But when God's people begin to discover who they are, when they hear the good news, when they hear the gospel, when they begin to discover that God wants to bless them, Satan gets threatened. Do you remember before you got born again, for those that have given their hearts to Jesus, the first time you heard the gospel and your heart began to open up, Satan got threatened. He began to lie to you. He began to say, these people are crazy. The gospel's not true. Jesus is a figment of your imagination. And then when you got born again and you began to hear all that God had for you, he began again to confront you because he's scared because you are closer than you even believe yourself. And so when we begin to press in, the enemy begins to freak out. He's not scared of Israel being in the wilderness. He's scared because they're in the promised land. He knows more about your destiny than often you do. You're closer than you think. Your breakthrough is closer than you think. You're so, we're often so consumed with our brokenness, but our, our promise, our breakthrough is so close. So let's have a look. Verse 14. So the men of Israel took of their provisions, but they didn't ask of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and a covenant with them, and he let them live. And many Christians do that. They allow everything to go into their life without being filtered. They make peace with those thoughts. They make a covenant with those thoughts until they begin to defend a way of thinking. It becomes a stronghold in their life. And you press a button and they react. I've seen it when I've preached on blessing and prosperity. And because some people have allowed a way of thinking to be embraced into their mindset, because the enemy has lied to them, as soon as that stronghold is confronted, they react. Not you, of course. Verse 16. Now it happened at the end of three days. Say three days. Three days. You should wait three days after every thought. What does that mean? Three days is the difference between the grave and the resurrection. Three days is the difference between the old nature and the new nature. So every thought that comes into my head needs to be evaluated between who I used to be and who I now am. Are you getting this? That's not the old me anymore. And so often Satan is speaking to us based on who we used to be and not how God sees us. God doesn't see me weak, sick, feeble, poor, broke, discouraged, disheartened, dark. God sees me victorious. And if you begin to allow everything that comes into your mind to be filtered through the way God sees you, you will take the enemy out. Be excited. So it happened after the end of three days. 
after they made a covenant with him, they heard that they were neighbours who dwelt with them. As I read this, I see they partook of their bread, their wine skins, and their garments and their shoes. They were deceived by the three things. Bread we spoke about last week, which is a belief system. Wineskin represents a revelation of the joy of the Lord. And our shoes and garment represent our authority to rule and reign. And I want to speak to you today about the way the enemy deceives us and robs us of our joy. Does that interest anyone in today? It's interesting. We sang a lot about joy today. John 10.10 says, The thief, which is the devil, which is a picture of what we just read because he's a deceiver. He is at work in your life right now. And he comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. Do you know that word steal literally means he is a pickpocketer. He's, he's, he's someone who comes in. He doesn't steal by coming right to your face and taking what belongs to you. He doesn't mug you with a knife, but he comes from behind and he steals from you and you don't even know it's gone. You get home and all of a sudden your watch is gone. Your money's gone. That's what he does. He steals. He is robbing you of things and you don't realize that he has, allowed, he has brought circumstances and beliefs into your life, things that have happened, and you go down the track and you realize that you've lost your joy. Where's my joy? He stole it. He's a deceiver. And I'm here today to do one particular thing, is to reveal that Satan is after you and he wants to deceive you and steal from that which belongs to you. He is a liar. He is a stealer. He is real. And the more you don't believe in him, the more he will steal from you. Why that? Believe in the devil? Well, I can see that. I can see that. Your life is living proof. No joy, no life, no peace. Classic example. That word steal comes from the Greek word klepto, and that's where we get the word kleptomaniac. He can't help himself. He's always the same. He is always stealing from you. He is a habitual stealer. And we need to get it into our mindset. Satan has one agenda. He can't help himself. He is addicted to robbing and stealing from people. So we need to be aware of his schemes. He's going to use all sorts of things to steal, to steal, to steal. You wake up in the morning and I'm aware that he wants, to, he wants to bring conversations, encounters, tiredness, whatever it is, to rob you of your joy. And I'm beginning to discover that more and more that joy is a big deal to God in our lives. It's a third of the kingdom. Is it not? Romans says that the kingdom is righteousness, peace and occasional joy. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal to God that you are full of joy. Yeah. It comes to steal, it comes to kill. That word kill literally means not to murder someone, but to sacrifice. It's a picture of sacrifice, like you sacrificed an animal on the altar. So if he can't steal from you, he's going to cause you to think that you need to sacrifice something in order... To be a believer. So I think about sacrificing fun 
finances and my future. That's what most people think. But I can't get saved. I have no more fun, no more money, and no future. He's a, he's, a, he's a thief. He lies to you. Stay away from those people. Become a Christian. No fun, no money, and no future. He's a stealer. He'll make you think all sorts of crazy things. He'll say to you that if you've got pain, that you have to sacrifice joy. Have you ever had that? That if you're going through a painful situation, it means you can't have pain and joy at the same time. You've got to sacrifice your joy because you've got pain. Really? Is that true? Doesn't it say in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8.2, Paul says in a great trial of affliction that the church at Corinth had an abundance of joy. Did you hear that? You don't have to sacrifice joy because you're going through pain. So I say that again. You don't have to sacrifice joy because you're going through pain. Because joy comes from the Holy Ghost within. In, within. And see, their problem was they were Israel and Joshua at this stage were looking at natural circumstances and not operating and functioning out of a deeper, le- deeper level of the spirit. Steal, kill, and destroy. That word destroy means he's going to trash you, devastate you, ruin you, obliterate you. I think it's pretty obvious Satan's plans. He wants to take you out. But here's a great word. Say it with me. But. but. Satan has an agenda. But. Satan wants to take you out. But. Satan wants to rob you. But I have come, Jesus said. That's his plan. We can get depressed if we stay there. In fact, a lot of churches stay there. A lot of Christians stay there. And Satan is real. And he does have power if you operate in deception and allow him to deceive you. He has great power. What power Satan? We do. In fact, if you want to see all of Satan's power, it is the sum total of every deceived soul. That's his power. If no one in the world was deceived, Satan would have no power. Jesus said, but I have come that you would have life. It's the Zoe life. It's abundant life. It's life to the full. That's the heart of God today. Now, I read a story in Luke eleven twenty four. You may want to turn to this. And it's a warning from the Lord because some Christians, in fact, some people, don't value the role of joy in their life. You say, well, I don't, I, I don't care what you say. I want to be miserable. Have you met people like that? They choose misery as their closest friend. And, and nobody wants to be around them. Except, except, except the devil and other people with the same spirit. This story talks about an unclean spirit that is cast out of a man. So it's, it's, it's like a picture of somebody that gets born again. And that Bible, the story tells us that this unclean spirit goes out through dry places seeking somewhere to rest. See, the enemy is looking to land on somebody that's a misery gut. If I can put it in plain English. That's the Greek version. Miserable, self-centered and isolated. So the enemy's cast out of a man. You get born again. Now you have the obligation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So it says it goes around looking for a dry place. He can't find any. He comes to Hope City Church. He says, no, there's no miserable people here. I'll go back to my original person. And he sees that person who is being emptied and swept clean. He's being delivered from the enemy, but he hasn't replaced the enemy and the old mindsets with joy. He's embraced the miserable mindset. He's embraced uh, a pain mindset or a defeated mindset as his friend. And so the enemy says, open door access. And it says he comes back with seven of his buddies. And the, the uh, last case is worse than the former. So the Bible's teaching us if we don't value joy as a, as a very much a part of our life, we are going to have a dry place where the enemy will be attracted. It is in your interest to make sure that inside you that you encounter God and allow his joy to fill you. It vaccinates you against the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a boost. It's a protein shake. It, it, it repels the enemy. But not these people. They, 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 they had dry places. There were areas where they were miserable and, and, and defeated. And it's all because they embraced wrong beliefs, wrong mindsets. Dry places invite the enemy to come and do his work. They repel people and they repel opportunities. His a little tip, if you want to succeed in your workplace, in your wherever you are, try joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. You know what it's like. You go in and you buy you know, a, a nice expensive shoe or if, if you're into shoes like I am, Imelda Marcos, or if you're into shirts or whatever, and you've paid all this money and you get a grumpy person on the end. Like, hmm. It's like... Really? But you know, you, there's a big difference between someone who owns the shop and somebody who's working for an owner. Karen and I have a little cafe that we like to go occasionally at a shopping centre and it's owned by this lady who just, you can see she loves her work and she started and almost immediately the place is full because she carries an atmosphere. She remembers our name. She knows us. We haven't been there that often. Maybe it's how much we spend it. I don't know. But she's always happy to see us. Dry places attract the enemy and they repel people in opportunities. If you're not getting many breaks in life, maybe look in the mirror and ask yourself, when was the last time I was filled with joy? That was a cue for you to smile at me. The only one that's attracted to dry places really is the devil. And I know some people can be attracted to misery, but it's not the person. It's the enemy in them that's attracted. Like attracts like. Deuteronomy 28, 47 says, listen to this. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for all the abundant benefits you have received, this is a New Living Translation, you will serve your enemies. It says you'll be left hungry, thirsty, naked, lacking in everything, and an iron yoke will be on your neck. See, this, this is the thing. If you don't serve God with gladness and enthusiasm and joy, oh, boy, let's go to church again. Oh, boy, I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, boy, I haven't prayed today. God says, that's wrong. 
Don't serve me like that. Maybe you've met Christians like that. That's not a representation of the Father. He is enthusiastic about you. And he's looking for enthusiasm. He says, serve me with joy and enthusiasm for all that I do. Because the more joyful you are, the more you attract the favor of God. And the more miserable you are, the more you repel it. That's why God has to say to people, because we're slow. I set before you blessing and curses, life and death, joy and misery. Take your pick. But when you take your pick, let me help you choose life, blessings and joy. Because it's much better. You know, we've only got 80, 90, 100 years on planet. I don't know how long you've got. But let's do it with joy. You haven't seen... Look, I'm not saying things are easy. But the Bible says it's actually possible... To have joy in all circumstances. And the more you embrace joy, the more you repel the enemy. I want to talk to you about emotions just for a minute. How many people have emotions? I'm a very emotional sort of person. Emotions are beautiful, aren't they? They are. Colossians 2 verse 6 tells us that if our spiritual roots aren't deep in God, we are prone to deception. And when that happens, we will then begin to embrace the traditions of the world like this. I'm melancholy. Really? Okay. I have a right to be sad. I'm just being real. No, you're not being real. You're being miserable. You're identifying with the old nature. You're making a covenant with a liar and deceiver. And you need to stop it. Stop it. Sometimes you have to say to yourself, stop it. Stop it. It's the traditions of men. You deserve to be sad and depressed. Well, that's the, what the enemy wants. And the more depressed you are, the more you attract more demons. And the more demons you get, the more depressed you get. You need to stop it and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to bring a well of joy in your life. And he will. His great desire is to bring joy to your life. It's his passion. The Lord said to me a while ago, bad beliefs create faulty feelings and they will protest against the truth of your new identity. Did you hear that? Bad beliefs will create faulty thinking and that, sorry, faulty feelings and they will protest against the truth of your new identity. Aaron's sons, when they, they were naughty and they... They got, the Bible says, strange fire and they offered it to the Lord and they lost their lives. See, what we're talking about is really serious. Because you know that strange fire, what it was, it was in the, I've talked to you about this before, in the holy place, there was an altar of incense and on the altar of incense there was like a perfume that was, that was on the altar and they would go to the brazen altar and they would get coals from it and they would come and they would mix the coals with the incense on the altar of the altar of incense and then perfume would go up in the holy place and it would be an opening into the very presence of God. The altar of incense is our emotional life and they offered strange fire. In other words, they got the coals from a place that they shouldn't have. They mixed it with incense that they shouldn't have. 
See, the coals represent on the brazen altar. The brazen altar is where the sacrifices were, were placed that represented the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first thing you went to when you came into the tabernacle. So it's a picture of this, God's immense love for us shown in Jesus Christ. So the, the sacrifice, and, and in that sacrifice, there were coals that lit the sacrifice. And they got those coals and they mixed it with the incense, which is our emotional life, and fragrance came. So that tells me the only sort of belief system I should mix with my emotions is the belief system that says, God loves me and has a plan for my life. And when I take those beliefs and mix it with my emotional life, I get a fragrance that fills the room. But when I mix my emotional life with faulty beliefs, I may feel it's true, but it's not true. I may not feel loved by God, but it's not true. See, emotions aren't reality. They're just belief indicators. Are you getting this? You may feel like it's true. So I can feel today that you don't like me, Mary. But just because I feel like it doesn't mean it's true. I might have said hello to her and she's walking the other way and she didn't hear me. So I'm like, oh, she doesn't like me. It's a faulty belief. She thinks I'm amazing. But the truth is, my belief system mixed with my emotions will determine the fragrance that I carry. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets. Emotions can be false prophets. Foretelling the future. Oh, no, in those things. Oh, that sounds strange, doesn't it? Some people talk like that. Nobody loves me. My future's really rotten. It's always going to be the same. Oh, I feel so depressed today. Beware of false prophets, the scripture says, foretelling a false future. I don't feel like anything's going to change. Well, you know what? Feelings are amazing. They're a gift from God if they are lit with the coal of a true belief system. Never trust a feeling that hasn't been filtered through the word. If I wake up and feel like I'm lousy and I don't actually feel like preaching today or I don't feel like being a pastor or I don't feel like loving anyone, I need to stop that, go back to word and get a realignment until my feelings align with truth. Are you hearing me? And this is where Israel got taken out because they heard a lie and they didn't check with their belief system, with true reality. And so they embraced it. And it costs them. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing, it's a picture of they look like they are conveying truth on the outer. Clothing is a picture of the outer. Beware of false prophets because they look like they're telling the truth. This is what I see. This is what I feel. My circumstances validate how I feel. I feel God doesn't love me because I've got no money. Therefore, God doesn't love me. Beware of false prophets who come in cheap clothing. But inwardly, say inwardly. Inwardly. So this is the truth. They are like wolves. The enemy wants to take you. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Are you getting this today? He is a liar. Have I made that clear? I told you last week that the fruit of the Spirit are not things that we try to work up. All right, I've got to be more joyful more good, more kind. 
more faithful, more peaceful, and more joyful. Right, got to work on that today. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit are an indicator of how God speaks to me. Are you getting this? So when I listen to the voice of God, it's going to be joyful, peaceful, faithful, good. That word good is really the word generosity or generous. That's how God speaks to me. And the more I tune into his voice and not the voice of the enemy, the more I listen to what he says about me, the more those fruits will grow in my life. How do you become more joyful? Listen to the voice of joy over you. Sometimes I have to say, okay, God, what is it again you see when you look at me? And I open the Bible and I begin to speak on God's behalf. That's why he gave us the Bible. His word in your mouth is powerful. So I read it and I say, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. He thinks you're amazing. And off I go. And all of a sudden, as I speak that over my life, there is a seed from his word that enters my heart and begins to bear fruit. If I hear his voice of joy over me, I will be joyful. Maybe the reason some of us aren't joyful is because we're not listening to the voice of joy. We're sampling the wrong provision. We think it's from heaven, but it's actually from the earth. We think it's from afar, but it's really close. We think it's God, but it's actually the enemy speaking in disguise. He's angry with you, disappointed, depressed. My friend, that is not God. He's so much better than you think. Romans 15, 13, just another slap on the enemy. Now may the God of all hope, this is what God does, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you would abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. This is what God said to me about this verse. Andrew, your beliefs are determining your joy level. This is what this verse is saying. And your joy level is what gives the Holy Spirit the domain to exercise his power and visionary leadership. Should I say that again in English? My beliefs are determining my joy level. This is what it's saying. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So my beliefs determine my level of joy. And my level of joy... Give, as I, my joy level comes up, it gives the Holy Spirit the domain to exercise his power and visionary leadership. Because that's what it says. So you would abound in hope. What is hope? The expectation of a future filled with God's goodness. So when I get filled with joy, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to come into my life and exercise his leadership and visionary direction in my life. That's the power of joy. It opens up a realm for the Holy Ghost to work. I'm discovering that he only can work in joyful people. So if you're miserable, allow him to turn your morning into joy. I'm not here to bash you up if you're feeling sad. I'm here to say, do you know what? There's an option. Pick B. Allow him to speak. Even this message, allow it to come into your spirit and bring a shift. Because the more you allow him to shift you, the more you get, you get filled with his joy, the more he can work in you. The reason why we're perfect in heaven, one of the reasons is because heaven's full of joy and he will have his way and he functions best in the realm of joy. Isaiah 12 says, In that day you will say of the Lord, I praise you, 
Though you were angry with me, this is one of the old covenant, your anger is now turned away. He was angry at the world because the world rejected him. He was angry not so much at man, but at man's simple choices. He says, verse 2, But now God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Therefore, I will draw, with joy, I will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to draw from the wells of salvation. What's that? The wells of salvation are the reality that Jesus loves me. Do you remember? This is a little sidetrack. You remember when I told you about Zacchaeus? Do you remember when I told you that story for some of you? When he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd? Do you remember what he did? He ran ahead and he climbed up a tree. That tree was a picture of the cross. And the more we get a view of the cross and Jesus' love for us, the more we will overcome every obstacle that, that stops us seeing the reality of Jesus. And then on that tree, do you know, it was a, fig, was it a, fig, a um, sycamore tree. And the sycamore tree had that little fruit that grew right on the branch. And they would, three days before the fruit was picked, they would pierce it because it was bitter. And after three days, they would take the fruit and eat. It's a picture of the cross. Then on the, he got a revelation up the tree that Jesus absorbed all my pain. He loved me so much. He gave his life for me. He is, he is just consumed with my breakthrough and my victory. And Zacchaeus got a, a revelation of God's eternal love for him. The enemy is a liar. He will block your view of God. He will say, you've blown it, you've messed up, you've done all these things wrong, you've missed your calling. I'm here to tell you, you ain't missed nothing. God's still at work with you. He can redeem everything that the enemy's stolen. It's never too late. Amen. Amen. Fruit of, the joy, fruit of joy is a powerful weapon against the enemy. I just thought back to that dream I had when I was... I must have been watching, you know, Braveheart or something. But I had a dream that I was attacking demons with a sword and slicing them up until I got to this last demon who, who I couldn't use the sword against. And he was huge and I got so intimidated and I heard the voice of the Lord say, laugh at him. This is in my dream. And as I laughed at him, because the sword wouldn't work, the, this demon shrieked and ran away. I'm here to tell you that the fruit of joy is a powerful weapon. As we rejoice in him and are thankful and love him and laugh and rejoice in him, he is rendered powerless because all the fruit was stripped from him. Do you know his domain is miserable? It's fearful. It's anxious. The enemy's anxious. He's, see, all the things he tries to put on you is what he has. He's discouraged. Do you know daily the devil's discouraged? Every time you pick up your Bible and pray, he gets more discouraged. So let's make him discouraged today. Isaiah 53 is when Jesus comes and he pays the amazing price for our sin. Before Isaiah 53, it's a picture of the old covenant. Isaiah 53 is the cross. 700 years before Jesus comes, there's a man prophesying what God will do through Jesus for you. Isaiah 54 is the announcement of the new covenant. So that's you and I. Pre-cross, Isaiah 
52 backwards. Isaiah 53, the cross. You read Isaiah 53. Amazing what Jesus did for us. Isaiah 54 is the new covenant. So how will God start the new covenant? It's interesting, isn't it? What will be on the mind of God for everyone that enters the kingdom? Do you want to know? Verse 1, Isaiah 54. This is what it says in my translation. Shout for joy. In that translation, it's sing, O barren. But in the Hebrew, it's literally shout for joy. That's the new covenant. Uh, Maybe you didn't get that. Old covenant, misery, always never measuring up. Jesus comes, dies on the cross. The very next day, the announcement of the new covenant, shout for joy. The angel comes and says, I bring you glad tidings, good news. Jesus is here. Shout for joy, barren one. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. It's not, it's not that sort of cry. It's yippee. Jesus has changed me, saved me. He loves me. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. And in verse 55, the first thing it then says, sorry, chapter 55, verse 1, it says, come and drink your fill. Should I say that again? Anyone who's thirsty, come and drink. If you're miserable, if you're intimidated, discouraged, you can be set free. The Holy Ghost will fill you with his joy. He will give you a revelation that Father is passionate over you. And if you are resisting what I am saying, it's because you are in deception. Because the truth is, Father who made heavens and the earth is narrowing his beady little eyes on you today and says, no matter what you do, no matter how much you may want to resist it, I love you and I'm after you. And you can run, but you can't hide. I'm going to get you. I'm going to track you down. I'm like a bloodhound. I will come after you, and I'm going to keep loving you to the day you breathe your last breath. He says his love never fails. He is not going to give up on you. So he says, drink. Do you know Isaiah 55 then goes on to say verse 12? This is talking about the church. This is the New Testament church. So you will... Go out, so this is today, when we leave here today, you will go out or break out with great joy. So when we leave today, the greatest witness we can have that we are followers of Jesus is that our face aligns with reality and truth, that we are greatly loved and highly favoured. The Bible says, arise and shine, for the light has come. Even though there's deep darkness and depression in God's economy, let the kingdom come. Let joy reign. God will have his way in a triumphant church. And you will be led forth with peace. And listen, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. What's that mean? When you go out with joy, the world around you will react to the joy in you. They are longing for someone that has joy. Remember I told you the story of Reg and Nancy? I'm reminiscing now. Uh, Reg was the one man in the church I used to go to when I was a little kid that was sort of a bit of a dead church. It had its trouble. But Reg and Nancy, every week, they would do this. They would hold hands in the middle of worship. I'm thinking, they can't be listening to the song. 
But they would just dance like this with a smile on their face every week without fail. Every single week. They were the only happy people I could see. Reg, the Lord woke me one day and said, it's the day of Reg. I hadn't seen Reg for many years. And I looked up his name and the date of his birth. And when he woke me up, Reg, had if he, if he was alive, would have been 100. And Reg was the captain and coach of the Saints, the AFL club. And God's raising up men and women that will lead his saints with great joy. There's a new generation of joy-filled believers. And as they go out into the world, the world will clap their hands and say, finally, a message of hope and peace and joy. They will see you even in deep affliction through challenges, but there's a joy that's not fleshly or, or made up, but it comes because you've listened to the beliefs of God about your life. And you will be able to shine even in dark places. Are you hearing this? Isn't the word of God amazing? Jude one twenty four. we've almost finished. It says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, God's at work in you. And listen, and he's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So let me just let you in on a secret. Whether you choose to believe me or not today, if you are a believer in Jesus, if your name is written in his book of life, if you've asked Jesus to come into your life, here's something that's going to happen without any shadow of doubt. You're going to walk into heaven and you're going to get baptized, whether you like it or not, in exceeding joy. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure that we should... Prepare our faces for a shock. <laughs> Remember, because whatever's not of him will be burnt up. Anything in our life that's false, any, anything that I assume into my identity that's not of him, the Bible says will be burnt up with fire. So if you go into heaven miserable, fire will hit you, and you'll come out the other side full of the Holy Ghost and joy. So I say let the fire begin now. I want to step into heaven and there's actually no shift. It's what Enoch did. No need for fire in his life. So let it come now, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. This is just reality. If you, when you get to heaven, not if, when you get to heaven, it will be full of joy and gladness. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but this is what the Bible says. You're going to be presented before his glory with exceeding joy. Now, remember I said to you last week, the fact that I exist today tells me that God has already completed my life. Because God works from the back to the front. We work from the beginning to, to the end. He works from the end to the beginning. He places us in a finished work and then he works. So that's why the Jews read from the right to left and we read from the left to right. That's why we work from morning to night and they start the opposite way. They finish when it's begin. Sorry, uh, they begin when it's finished. So that tells me that God has already finished His work in my life. I have already been completed, and I am already stark. What's the term? Filled, overwhelmed with His joy and gladness. It's a done deal. Yeah. The fact that I'm born again means His work has been completed. Yeah. Does it not? Yeah. Remember the garden. 
Finish his work when he plonks man and woman in at the very end. That's why we begin our week on Sunday in a finished work. So there is a version of you that is filled with joy. That's what you embrace. That's what, see, seek the things that are above. What he sees about you. You may have a picture of yourself as incredibly depressed and sad. That's not what God sees, sorry. The Bible teaches that nothing happens in the kingdom without a declaration first. Did you know that? That's how the kingdom works. So I want you to declare some things with me today over your life. Is that all right? So repeat after me. He will fill my mouth with laughing and my lips with rejoicing. Now, just in case you didn't know that, that comes from Job 8.21. Psalm 89.15, I am blessed because I know the joyful sound. I walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name, I rejoice all the day long. So declare this over you. This is who you are. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Psalm 16.11, in your presence is fullness of joy. Are you getting this? Psalm 100 verse 2, I will serve the Lord with gladness. Okay, let, let it affect your body now, okay? Let it filter through. Acts 13.52, I am filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is truth. This is truth. This is not 16 miles away. This is from heaven to earth. This is what God sees. Now I finish with my last verse. Listen to this. Jeremiah 33.9. You don't have to read, repeat this. Just listen. This is what God says about the restoration of his people. It sh- then it shall be to me a name of joy. This is God's people. A praise and an honor before all nations of the Lord. Who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I will provide for it. God's about to break out in your life. Thus says the Lord again, there shall be heard in this place, you today, me. Of which you say is desolate. Without man and without beast. In other words, he's got nothing to be thankful for. God's saying, in you, misery one, desolate one. It's going to be said of you. Verse 11, the one who is desolate without man and without beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, these places are the desolate without man and without inhabitant. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. So in place of misery and desolation, there's going to be a voice of joy and gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. That's Father speaking to you about how great you are and you speaking to Father about how great he is. The voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. So I say to you, no matter how miserable you've been, how desolate, how bad things have been, God has promised there's a new sound coming from you, a new voice of victory and joy and gladness. You may have been shut down by the enemy, shut down by pain, shut down by disappointment, shut down by confusion, but God is 
adamant that there's a new sound coming out of your spirit and out of your mouth of victory, joy, and freedom. Woohoo! And all the nations will tremble and fear because of the goodness and prosperity of his people. And here's the thing more joy, more blessing. Because remember, joy invites the Holy Spirit to exercise his domain. He changes. See, without joy, you can't see your future, it shuts down the blessing. But it's all about to change. Your life is about to get radically different. Can I prophesy that over you? You're about to get a new dose of the Holy Ghost, a new dose of joy and gladness. God said to me this week, I am very, very adamant that my people must embrace joy as a way of life. The enemy has robbed his pe- God's people for so long, saying that if you've, you've got pain, you can't have joy. If things are going wrong, you'll never, ever have a joyful life. It's a lie from the pit. He is a deceiver. He's a liar. There's no truth in him at all today. Father, I pray for every person here today that you would supernaturally fill them with your joy, that they would get from your word pictures of how great you are. Jesus, it was said of you, you were anointed with the oil of joy more than anyone that had ever walked the earth because you knew Father better than anyone. So teach us. Your ways, Father, show us what you think about us, how you feel about us, and fill us with your joy. I break all deception, all confusion, all discouragement and fear and pain and misery. All the, it's all the gunk that the enemy would put on your people. It doesn't belong in us because we are free. We are new. We are recreated In Christ Jesus. And there's no misery in you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I thank you today that you are setting people free. You are plucking away, taking out all the lies of the enemy and causing your people to walk in victory. And as we leave this place today, may the hills and the mountains and the trees clap because God's people have gone out with joy and gladness. Let the, the very presence around us just pulsate with your joy in life. Now, just as every eye is closed and every head bowed, if you've never given your life to Jesus, he is the giver of joy in life. And I just want to give you an opportunity, if you've never done that, just to quickly raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If you would like to invite Jesus into your life, is there anyone here today? You've never done that? He loves you. He's going to make your life only better. Let him come in. All you need to do is say, Jesus, come in. If you'll lift your hand, I'll pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to be united with the one that loves you. If you've never done that, just raise your hand. Is there anybody here at all? Okay. If you're maybe nervous to do that, you know you can do that at home, wherever you are. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. He will come in. He will fill you with his life and his peace because he loves you. So I pronounce, Lord, favor and blessing on your people. 